Hello! Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who Spin the Wheel podcast. I nearly got the name wrong there. Uh, <laughs> this should be episode three, I believe, because yeah. I, I wasn't in episode two. Uh, hello, I'm Andrew. I'm the main host this week because Will isn't here. And joining me this week is Mike, who you will all know for having listened to the Hit and Miss podcast. Uh, hello. So Mike, hello. Hi, guess who's back again? I was on episode two, so hello. <laughs> it's like he never left. It's like I never left. And I should say, I should have uh, introduced myself by saying Polari the Carney. No, no, nothing that flashy. <laughs> and joining us as our guest is Mr. Brian Cox, MBE. Hello, <laughs> is Brian Cox an MBE? I don't know. I don't think it's the he same was. guy. <laughs> I'm actually checking this out now. <laughs> Which I'm, I'm, I'm so many genuinely curious. Oh, it's a CBE. We should specify we haven't got either of the famous Brian Coxes on. We have the... No, I'm far from famous. The soon-to-be famous Brian Cox. <laughs> I wish. Um, yeah, Brian Cox, I should say, is a friend of mine from Facebook and from local area. Uh, he, the only guy who's made me dress up as a Varga plant at one point. <laughs> <laughs> How did that go? Uh, prickly. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, but it was good. It was a little bit of acting experience for me. Was this for like? Was this for a production then? It's for a fan film. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't. It, oh, it wasn't just how we spend our weekends. <laughs> <laughs> it should be. <laughs> Hit the two and cotton wool and twigs. I mean, we've already, we, we've already established she wants to fuck the zombie, so, like, it's not really that much of a stretch, really. We did not establish that. You just got bitter because of your... I established your horniness for Daleks. People who haven't heard the podcast are going to be so confused right now. Where are we? Oh, yes. Before we officially uh, get into the uh, episode that we're talking about in this episode, we're going to briefly go over the uh, TV movie because uh, Brian here was meant to join us on the episode of Hit or Miss where we did the... Uh, the TV movie, which then never ended up happening. So, let's quickly share all our thoughts on the TV movie. What do you guys think of it? Oh, to hit for me, definitely. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think much the same. Um, I, I think at the time it was really hated, uh, and it's not that bad. There's a couple of things that are iffy. Obviously, there's the canon issue about the whole half-human thing, uh, and I don't love the kind of... The solution at the end is basically go back in time and do it all over again um but it wouldn't be the first or last time that a time travel show had done that i think there's yeah, loads... i'm not a fan of a quick fix like that no yeah no that kind of does ruin and i can see if that had been a pilot for a series that wouldn't have been a great way to start it because every week you would just think well just do that thing again um but yeah i think it's, it's good and i love i think paul mcgann obviously is a brilliant doctor big finish of showing that I think uh, Daphne Ashbrook is brilliant, but that's mainly because I met her and she was really nice to me. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But yeah, so, um, uh, if I was to give it a score, I, as I said, I couldn't go massively high because I don't think it's brilliant, like the best thing ever, but I'd say it's a solid like 7 out of 10. Yeah, I'd probably yeah, agree with that. I, I think I'm of a very similar mindset. I don't dislike it. It's fine. I have some form of attachment to it because it, was, it came out the year I was born. It's like a month older than I am, so... Oh. Making us feel ancient. Yeah, I'm suddenly feeling very old now. <laughs> um, and Paul, Paul McGann is probably the best thing about it. I think Paul, Paul McGann is great. Yeah. Uh, I'm not particularly fond of Eric Roberts' portrayal of the Master, apart from <laughs> for one particular line that me and Phil meme the shit out of all the time, and it's just him walking down those stairs going, I always dress for the occasion. Everybody means the shit it's marvellously camp, and I love it. Yeah, you, just have to accept, uh, you have to accept Eric Roberts as being like, he, he's in something completely different. He's in the 60s Batman TV series, and he's going for it. So just... I, I would argue that around that point, once he gets the Time Lord robes on, I'd argue that's when he's probably as, at his best as the Master. Because <laughs> yeah, exactly. before then, he's just kind of like a weird Terminator knockoff. Yeah, I don't love that stuff either, the weird, like, becoming a bizarre snake and then possessing yeah, someone. Yeah, what, what was the snake? Um, oh, yeah. What was I going to say? I can't remember. Oh, um, I, I, I think Daphne is good as Grace, but I'm not like that. I'm not like a massive fan of Grace, really, as character. I just find it kind of generic. I know that sounds awful, but... 
Well, you're not allowed to criticize her because Daphne called me adorable. So any criticism of Daphne, I think, is not allowed on this podcast. <laughs> oh, God. Just allowing your personal biases to really show off there, Mike. <laughs> Look, I haven't met that many famous people. It's not like I can do this with many episodes, is it? Did you not meet Paul McGann? I did not know. It was only oh, Daphne. Oh, he's, he's a delight. He's very, can, he's very can shy, I, but can he's, I he's a nice guy. Can I tell you the story of how I first met Paul McGann? Yeah, go for it, come on. It was at one of my first conventions as a, a, not recently out, but like, you know, a fairly recent out queer person. And I was in the queue to, I can't, I don't even think it was the queue to see Paul McGann. I think it was to see someone else. But his booth at the convention was like behind where we were stood. He was on like the table next to us. And... He'd just walked in and sat down. It's the first time I'd ever seen him. And maybe it was because it was, it, maybe it was because it was my first convention. I was a little bit sort of starstruck and overwhelmed by everything. But I blurted out to my best friend, out loud, he definitely heard this, shit, he's even hotter in person. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's so on brand for you as well. <laughs> uh. <sighs> Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's how I met Paul. I actually did then go and talk to him, and that was fun. He signed my. I have um, Mike. You might have this book actually if I can find it on my shelf. I don't know, but um, for my birthday a fair few years ago, I got like a massive um, dot. It was like a book about all the behind the scenes stuff from Doctor Who, from oh. classic to modern, and it had like sections on each of the different Doctors. So when I've met all the when I've met the doctors that I've met, I've had them sign their page in the book. Oh, nice. No, I've never uh, I've even heard of it. I'll try and find it when we're done, just so I can send you a picture of it, because it is really cool. Um, yeah, that, so, yeah, over, overall, I get the movie, like, yeah, kind of kind of same as what you did, seven. It's fine, it's enjoyable enough, but it's nothing brilliant. Yeah. I do, however, adore um, Eight's TARDIS. Yes. I have a picture of me on that TARDIS because the uh, that was at the same convention where I met Daphne Ashbrook was um, it was a Photoshop for the background but they actually had the console there so I have had a sort of a, a walk around and a little fiddle with the um, the steampunky oh, TARDIS console. The, the, that set that TARDIS set is beautiful. It's really it is nice. Po- it's possibly the best. It's definitely one of the best TARDIS sets. And the mm. fact that we only get it for one movie is really upsetting. <laughs> It is kind of sad, isn't it? Because <laughs> it's so good. It looks amazing. Anyway, uh, do we have any th- other thoughts we want to share on the TV movie before we get onto the actual topic of this week? No, I'm good. No. Okay, cool. So, uh, if you saw the last episode, which I didn't because I wasn't in it, but obviously I was told through Will what uh, the wheel had landed on, and it landed on the Carnival of Monsters, a third Doctor serial. Well, well technically, enough, I, technically it didn't. Technically it landed on class, but then we realised that you have to watch it. <laughs> oh, is that how it happened? <laughs> yeah, it landed because oh. I had put, I put on the wheel, um, what's it called? Uh, Co-owner Co-owner of, Co-owner of the Lonely Heart, Heart. the last episode, but then Will got in touch with me and was like, well, Andrew's got no way to watch an episode of class, so we're spinning again. So if anyone's curious, because we might have actually said that's what we were going to do on episode two, I'm not sure, but if we did, that's why. <laughs> Yeah, I had no idea. It's, it, it's the, the only downside with this podcast is we're trying to encompass as much of who as possible, but we're having to be mindful of the fact that as one of the main hosts, I don't have access to absolutely everything. So like, I don't have access to a lot of Big Finish uh, c- c- because Class, for some reason, isn't on iPlayer or Netflix anymore. I can't watch that. Which is yeah, annoying. I, sh- I should buy the box set for Class because I actually liked Class quite a lot. <laughs> It's still not that cheap because I was like, I, I was saying to Will, like, I'm going to look up on eBay how much it is and I'm just going to buy him. And it's still like 11 quid on DVD. And I was like, I'm not going to buy him. I'm just going to spin the wheel again. <laughs> 11 quid isn't as bad as I was expecting, to be fair. For an old DVD that's a few years old, you would expect it to be cheaper, especially secondhand. Uh, <laughs> it is worth it to see Greg Austin. <laughs> I love class. You know I love class. But yeah. Oh, class is great. Anyway, we're not here to discuss class. Yes, the reel was respun, which is the first time I've I've heard that this happened. Uh, I think anyway, I don't remember Will mentioning it, uh, and it landed on the Carnival of Monsters, a third Doctor serial, which, funnily enough, I also put on the list. So, in terms of episode of this podcast that I have been on, I am now two for two for episodes that I chose. 
I'll be honest, I thought I'd put it on because I have in the past because it's one of my favorite like classic serials. So yeah, it's it, you say it's your choice, it could just as easily have been mine. I, I know I, I told Will to put it on the wheel because so the first episode we did was the visitation, which was one of mine, and then I replaced it with Carnival of Monsters, I believe, because I had I think I had Greatest Show in the Galaxy on there along with the visitation, and then I was like, Oh, you know, Greatest Show in the Galaxy is kind of a circus. I've I, I wanted to see Carnival of Monsters for ages. Let's just put that on because it's another kind of, you know, it's a carnival. Although it yeah. didn't end up quite going as I expected, but we'll get no, to that. No, that's, that's more a sort of, you know, just a line of dialogue that they picked out, I think, because it sounded cool. It is cool, though, and it, do, it does work because it did sort of grab my attention. But anyway, yes, let's get into this. Andy, just, uh, before you, just before you do that, would you have been more intrigued if this had uh, stayed with the original working title, which was going to be Peep Show? <laughs> I think that would have been a possibly even more interesting title. <laughs> I like that. That's what it was called in production until, uh, yeah, before it went to air. I think people were wisely like, that, that's got some unfortunate connotations. Maybe change that. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure is it, it's either the Doctor or Joe says that in the in the story. Yeah. Well, they say Carnival of Monsters as well, but yeah. it's Yeah, uh, they say, it yeah the, the guy Vorg, I think his name is, says it. It is but that's like the name for the machine, but like I'm pretty sure when they're in the machine, Joe and the Doctor, either Joe or the Doctor says like a peep show. Yeah, like some uh, kind of peep show for a bunch of giant aliens or something like that. Some, yeah, it's something along those lines. Speaking of, uh, actually, yeah, because this is a more casual, laid-back review, really. We don't, we're not structuring it like we did in the Hit and Miss podcast. Let's just start with Joe and the Doctor since I mentioned them. What are your thoughts hmm. on, on Free and Joe in this? Take it, Brian, you can take this first. <laughs> <laughs> they work quite well as a team. Um, there's a lot of explaining from the two of them uh, that we don't quite get from the, the rest of the show. So the Doctor knows all about these machines, but not quite at first. And then af after he realizes, oh, we're in a, what was it, a Marconi scope, um, Joe is asking all the questions in typical like Doctor Who style companion that we want to know. And it does just become, I think, a, a bit of a sort of spoon-feeding information thing. But apart from that, they work quite well. They've got that lovely thing the two of them had as like um, actors and, and, and people in, in general. And they, they bring that to their characters. But I, I think they work quite well. Yeah, I agree. I think there's definite chemistry with uh, Katie and John to start with. Uh, I see what you mean about, yeah, there's, there's a lot of kind of explaining what it is and everything, but I didn't find it that distracting. But um, in terms of the actual two characters, I just love that Joe is surprisingly feisty and she's just taken none of the Doctor's crap. Like, even at the start when she's like, you never admit you're wrong, do you? We're clearly on Earth and I'm not backing down on this kind of thing. Yeah, they completely uh, had a tiff in the TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it's but, 20 quid, yeah. not where we are. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, but no, I think she's great in it, and she's uh, she's never seemingly like a damsel in distress. She's always kind of uh, proactive and looking for a way out, and uh, you know, just oh, we're gonna do this again, are we? You don't remember the last five minutes? It's not like oh, this is hopeless. Where's the doctor? But um, there is one moment at the end that made me laugh when the doctor's been outside and then ends up back in the miniscope and she's like, Doctor, where have you been? And his response is, Joe, stop asking stupid questions. I was like, that's not a stupid question. It's pretty fair. Yeah, that's a, that's a legitimate question, Doctor. <laughs> I I actually really enjoy... I, I completely get where you're coming from and I don't think you're wrong at all. There is quite a lot of um, uh, exposition dump via those two characters. I, actually, I think I made a note of this. It's kind of similar to... And I, I don't mean this to rat on the current era, because we've already made our thoughts clear that we do like the current era, but it does kind of like it does kind of remind me of uh, the current era at the moment, or with the way that the exposition was done. Mm -hmm. It was more the doctor just explaining everything as opposed to allowing the audience to find out organically via what's happening. Yeah, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. It very much reminded me of this current era. To be fair, I feel like this story could have been put in this current era and still work, to be honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm amazed that the idea of a miniscope has never really been revisited on screen. I know there's um, a River Song audio and probably there's like other spin-off stories, but it's such a weird and crazy idea and you can do so much with like all the different circuits or whatever they call it where there's different types of aliens that it's like, why is there only one episode that's ever done this? In... Um... In Midnight, the progression of um, all the characters, how they sort of like turn against each other and become angry and paranoid, that's, that's all very well in that story. But it would have been nice, I think, maybe 
in that one if we found out that, that, that they were in a miniscope and someone was mm. twiddling with those dials, that would have been a bit of a, oh, wow, look, this, look where they are. Yeah. That was another bit I didn't love was the fact that, like, I get that they can make them more aggressive by turning the dials and I'm fine with that, but it's the fact that then when they turn them off, everybody just like, oh, well, fair enough, let's go back to dinner. And I was like, you'd still be wondering why you had them at gunpoint. And what yeah, was why have I got a sweat on? <laughs> Fat lip. <laughs> yeah. But I, maybe it was just I wasn't fully paying attention. I was paying attention, so maybe I just missed it. But was it ever explained how they kept forgetting everything, like, every 10 minutes? They just said that they'd been, like, mentally programmed or something like that. It was vaguely oh, okay. explained in one line, but not really in any, like, real... Okay. For all the exposition, it was never really explained all that well. Uh, that might explain why I was still a little bit confused at the end how that kept happening. Mm. Uh, if it was just, like, a throwaway line explanation. I, I, I always enjoy Three and uh, Joe's dynamic. I've always really enjoyed their their oh, yeah, chemistry on screen. I've I've seen quite a few of uh, of their stories, and yeah, they're always a delight to watch. Jo I just love Joe as a character. Like she's just so, like you said, she's she's quite feisty, but she's also just really nice, and it's really sweet. And she's just kind of a joy to watch with the Doctor. Yeah. And Katie Manning, a woman of many talents, because she provided the voices of the clucking chickens as well in part one. <laughs> Can I just... That part with the chickens, I don't know why, but it made me laugh quite a bit. <laughs> I don't know why. It was so silly, but it made me laugh. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, oh, what was I going to move on to? Speaking of, while, while we're on Joe and the Doctor, what did you think of uh, the other characters in, in this serial? Uh, go on, you can go first again, Andrew. Oh, am I going first this time? Oh, I meant Brian, but yeah, you can. Oh, okay. okay um, Actually, I'll let Brian go, because I need to clean. Yeah, I, I like all the characters. Um, I do think the, the, the costumes of the travelling showmen are a bit outrageous. Um, <laughs> I love it. They're yeah. a bit over the top. It's, it's weird. They seem to match the um, the, the interior of um, of that city they go to, whereas all the... All the all the other the grey characters, if you like, mm. they they don't seem to like fit into it at all. As if the grey ones are the visitors, yeah. You know, the, the floor's got all these like psychedelic, like hippie colours around it and everything, and that's what the travelling showmen are like. Whereas all the the aliens are, are all dressed in greys. If they end up, they don't belong on that planet. Um, as for the the characters in the in the machine, uh, I think they work quite well. They, they believe what they're doing. You know that none of them are thinking, "Oh, we'll play for laughs or anything like that." So yeah, I think they, I think they work quite well. Yeah, if anything, I... there's probably too many. Mm. Like each one seems to have a line, and another one has a line, and another one has a line. I'd have probably like crop that down quite a bit. Yeah, I'd probably have cut the um, the female character on the on the ship because she really is the old-fashioned like damsel in distress with nothing to do other than kind of scream and call for her boyfriend and uh, I think she's perhaps a character too many but I think obviously um, the sailor was played by Ian Martyr who would go on to mm. play Harry Sullivan um, and you can kind of see how he got cast I mean he had auditioned previously for uh, Mike Yates but hadn't been able to, to take up the role but you can see how he got cast as a companion based on this because I think he's brilliant at kind of taking you into that reality and fully believing it and stuff and um, I can't remember the name of the actor, but the guy who plays the sort of very old-fashioned uh, what-what uh, type chap who uh, apparently was a friend of John Pertwee's from the Navy Lark. I think he's very good at that particular, I don't want to say stereotype, but yeah, archetypal character of like the old-fashioned old chap on a boat kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, I don't, I don't <laughs> know. I'm just, I'm just picturing that that's how he was credited on the cast list. <laughs> <laughs> guy yeah. on boat, what? <laughs> <laughs> I did love what happened as well when the doctor trying to settle in when they first see them and he's like, spiffing day, what, what? <laughs> Such a brilliant, like, alien idea of what we would talk like in the 20s. But, uh, yeah, in terms of the other characters, I think Vogue and, what's her name, Shona, are great at what they're, what they're for. They're just basically, you know, they're, they're flim-flam people and that's what their whole real role is. Uh, the other, the, the aliens, the interminorians, Fair enough, they're standard, other than um, I think Michael Wisher uh, is the, the main dude, Kallik, the main bad guy, and you can see that he's impressive. He'd been in Doctor Who before Terror of the Autons, and he was going to play Davros in a couple of years' time. Uh, he was the first Davros uh, actor, and you can see how he's good at being like sinister, quietly sinister and, and a bit evil. Um, but yeah, I think uh, other than that, it's a good cast. Maybe I would cut a couple of roles, but that's about it. Andrew. <laughs> 
I you could look... not have. I could not have a more different opinion. I think. Well, that's what we're here for. <laughs> well, I, I told you that I have two main criticisms of the story, and this is one of them. The yeah. only character outside of the Doctor and Joe that I actually ended up liking by the end was Scherner. The okay. rest annoyed the fuck out of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Vogue was just Vogue was just really incompetent and just annoying. <laughs> None of the aliens were particularly... Like, I guess Kallik was memorable because he was the villain, but, like, he was just really irritating. <laughs> I just I just didn't care for him. And, like, I can't even tell you any of the names of the characters on the ship. I know they existed, and I knew one of them was the actor who played Harry Sullivan because I recognised him. Yeah. Uh, and he was probably the most memorable of them, to be fair, but, like... He's the only name I remember. He was John Andrews, I believe. It was something Andrews anyway. But yeah, other than that, I couldn't tell you the name of the old fellow and the, the daughter character. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Apart from the Doctor and Joy, I only really liked Shana. Who, to be fair, I think I liked her just because she seemed a bit more competent than Vogue. The fact that she kind of knew what was going on with the machine and was trying to tell him, like, you know, you need to check this out. And he was just like, oh, no, it's nothing. Yeah, if, uh, if you think she, she along with Joe, is kind of, they're both feminist sort of forward, especially for 1970, what was it, 72, 73? Um, she, is, she is very much like Vogue, you're an idiot and I'm just putting up with you because I need a place to sleep kind of thing, you know? If you yeah, could swap I, I, any I, I, characters round, which ones would you swap round? In, in terms of how the story goes, I, I would have put Shauna in the machine with Joe. That would have been quite... Quite interesting to watch as well, with the Doctor I, outside. See, I was just thinking, I think it would have been really interesting to see one of the, you know, one of the, I don't know what you'd even call them, the the Schillers, I don't know, because they were kind of scam artists, really. Mm. Carnies. Like, it would have been really interesting, see, yeah, Carnies, it had been really interesting seeing one of the Carnies get trapped in the machine. I think mm. that would have been really interesting, seeing them having to work out how to get out from the inside. That mm. could have been really interesting. I just want to say as well, while, while we're here, I think the concept for the episode, and th this is honestly probably where my biggest praise for the episode is, I think the concept and the idea and the staging is brilliant. Yes. I love the idea of them being trapped inside this miniscope. It's a really, really cool idea. Yeah, I agree. I think it, it's it's a really cool sci-fi idea, but as with most of Robert Holmes' scripts, there's uh, not very subtle political subtext behind it that... I say that, but it's actually probably subtle enough that you wouldn't necessarily notice it. But the fact that the whole thing is, in terms of the people on Interminer, it's a big metaphor for like immigration panic and stuff uh, that was mm. yeah. around Britain at the time. So it's like, you know, not letting outsiders in and being contaminated, and the dregs of society are getting restless, and so we have to be the the upper class taking power kind of thing. Uh, which you know, <laughs> topical as always as well. But uh, yeah, that, that's still, that's still quite relevant today. Absolutely, yeah. but you can see that that's Robert Holmes poking fun at that, and I think that's maybe why the interminorians are a bit of a, a broad stereotype because he he's not subtle when it comes to like, oh, these are the you know the, the conservative bad guy types that are representing something uh, that we don't particularly like. But yeah, and I, I, I do think I don't understand quite why related to that the, um, the the Carney characters, if you like, are so over the top. But I love it. It's just very classic. Oh, I, I, I love, I love how over the top they are. I think they are fun characters. I think Vogue's. I, I, maybe this is just me being a dick. I find his incompetence very annoying. You say that, but that's the thing. One of the other things that bugged me is that he's supposed to be incompetent, and then at the very end, he's like, "Yeah, oh, don't, and then, don't worry, and I'll just the end, Yeah, I know, right? It doesn't make any sense. Have some form of like narrative cohesion. Yeah, you can't exactly. have this character. You can't have this character be a bumbling idiot for three episodes, and then in the final part, be like, "Oh, yeah, I'm a marksman, me." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Spending three episodes basically going, we haven't got a credit to our name, we're totally screwed without this miniscope, we're going to have to do everything, and then at the very end go, oh, the scope's destroyed, I don't worry about it, I'm just going to fleece them. Yeah, <laughs> mixing up some fortune on a couple of cups and this, what, uh, <laughs> some sort of seed. <laughs> exactly, yeah, doing that old one. Keep your eye on the cup, where's the cup going? <laughs> Trickier. Yeah, um, yeah it's, uh, the, the, it bugged me. <laughs> I, again, not not too much. Like I've still given this episode a fairly high score. Like it was one of the only two things that really bugged me uh, about yeah. the story was the fact that I just didn't really end up liking any of the characters apart from Scherner. 
Um, maybe, maybe you kind of said like they're both kind of the, the forward fe like thinking feminist archetype, and maybe that's why I like that like like her quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm always a fan of the sort of feminist characters because you know feminism is important, and strong female characters are fucking great. So yeah, I just I don't know. I like Sherna. Didn't really care for the rest, but it's not too much of a detriment to the episode. I still did enjoy it overall. And and kind of like how we already said, I just think the whole concept is really good. I love the idea of this. And again, I'm like you said, I'm very surprised they haven't revisited it, like in the show. I think it'd be really cool to see how they could tell a story using a miniscope in the modern era of Who, where we have much better effects. Well, yeah, I mean, you can use any number of, like, monsters and aliens if you wanted to. I mean, you don't have to, but you could as well as the different circuits. I mean, we got a three-second shot of a Cyberman, and it was like, I'm intrigued. Show me what's going on in there. <laughs> Who's in there with them? Are they just milling about? What's going on? That was cool. And speaking of things inside of the machine, what did you think of the Drashigs? Uh, oh. We were just saying before you arrived on the, the thing, me and Brian, I love the trash kicks. I know yeah. they're terrible, they're a little sock puppety thing, but the design's just really cool. I just like yeah, them. Yeah, I, I really like them. I think I think I have an exact note. Just Where was it? Yeah, my note is literally just the trash kicks look pretty damn cool. Well, I, yeah, it's a sock puppet, but like I kind of love it. Yeah. I really like and I don't know whether it was just the way they set it up or whatever, but the initial shot at the end of part two, when the Drashig comes out of the mud, I think yes. that's actually really quite effective. It's the same way yeah, it comes stolen out and then has this little quick twitch of its head as it shakes the water off. It, that's quite impressive, that. Yeah, it's really quite cool. That yeah, the sound look, design. It just looks really cool as well. The sound, I love, awesome. the sound is very cool as well. Yeah. Um, incidentally, I'm sure at least one of you knows this, but do you know where the name Drashig comes from? No. I don't. It's um, an anagram of dishrag because obviously dishrag. they were they were put in later as like a CSO thing, the puppets. But there was nothing on set to react to, so apparently somebody had a dishrag on top of a pole that they were waving about for an eyeline. Um, somebody <laughs> came to me. <laughs> That's where the name is. It's dishrag, just slightly with a couple of the letters altered to become drashig. So which I think is brilliant. <laughs> One, that's really funny. Two, I think Drashig's a really cool name. Yeah, well, it is. You wouldn't necessarily know it had come from somewhere like that. It's clever, whoever came up with it, but yeah. I, I kind of love that. That's great. I'm not sticking my hand in my kitchen sink again. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I love the, the sorts of stories. I think there was one for... I think it was for um, Tooth and Claw in the modern era where for uh, Tennant and like the, the cast of that episode to react to the werewolf, I think the actor playing the werewolf had like uh, something on his head. That, yeah, they uh, it was, I can't remember what it was, but it, 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 was just, it was like something on his head, vaguely in the shape of like a wolf's head. And that was what they were meant to look at uh, to act to. And like, it looks fine in the episode. I imagine the CGI isn't aged particularly well looking back at it now, but like, imagine being on set and just like running in terror from a man with like a pony on his head. I mean, it's, it's the same with anything though. I mean, the, the, there's tons of examples, but the one that sticks in my mind is if either of you have ever seen the behind the scenes for the Hobbit movies, um, Benedict Cumberbatch in one of those weird, like full on pajama type outfits for, for the, that they use. Is it, for, is it when he's like walking around with like all the dots on him and stuff? He's got all that on him, but he's playing the, the dragon, Mo. Yeah. He's literally crawling around, like, doing the things. But it's just a man in, like, a weird costume doing it, so it, it just looks so bizarre. And you're like, I, I get you're an actor and you're not embarrassed easily, but surely you must look at this and think, I look like an idiot. <laughs> I mean, I'm not being funny. If you're in a room of professionals who know why you're there and understand why you're doing it, fuck it. I'd have fun with that. I don't know why I'd be embarrassed. <laughs> Fair enough, I guess, but yeah, it's just it's weird to say, as you're saying, it would be weird if you were acting well, alongside well, him. You're saying that he probably got paid like a couple oh, of yeah. thousand pounds that day, if not more, to crawl around on the floor in a suit with white dots on him. Oh, yeah, no doubt he was crawling over that gold thinking, This is my salary. <laughs> probably, he probably earned about that much. Yeah, anyway, carnival of fun. No, I, I love stuff like that, but as well, I think it's a testament to how it's like sort of. Um, practical effects have come along nowadays as well to the fact that like, if you look at 
again, t taking, I mean, I know this was 1973, so we can't really hold it against it because, you know, the budget wasn't really there. And even if it did have a budget, they didn't have the technology we do today. But even just taking, I know this is a bit of a, di di a, bit of a divergence, but I do want to mention it just because I think it's kind of cool. Mm. Like, even if you look at, like, the werewolf from Tooth and Claw, that was, like, all CGI. Then look at, like, the Minotaur from the God Complex, yeah. which was a yeah. full-on costume. And even then, that was like nearly, holy shit, that was nearly 10 years ago. I know, it's scary. On a similar note, though, what did you guys think of the plesiosaur that randomly appears in Carnival of Monsters? <laughs> I know, I was a bit taken aback when that happened, because I knew the Drashigs were in this. I, yeah. I knew this is where they came from. But then a random dinosaur turned, and I was like, oh, hello, was not expecting you. It just disappears as well. It's nowhere to be found in the narrative later on. Yeah, like, we yeah, you don't find out why it's there. Yeah, it's presumably yeah, not the right time period. Why, why is there not a dinosaur in, yeah, I don't know, gobbling the side man up or something, you know? <laughs> Maybe there is, off screen. Maybe the Ogron's fighting a dinosaur. <laughs> like, Ogron's fighting a But yeah, it's, it's so weird that they don't address it when the Drashig's attack later. I was thinking, oh, this is going to be, the Plesiosaur's going to eat the Drashig or whatever. And nope, didn't. and then when they're sending everything back to their own time, I'm like, did you send the dinosaur with them? <laughs> without realizing so you're like they're back in the 1920s Joe, where they belong yeah but you may well have just gotten them all eaten anyway <laughs> i think actually that would have been kind of a cool way to deal with the drastic threat was have the plesiosaur just eat them why well, assume that's what they were maybe they were but then they realized the special effect for the plesiosaur wasn't great i mean it wasn't terrible it wasn't invasion of the dinosaurs bad but uh oh. yeah. <laughs> let's not go there with that one <laughs> it's an awesome story that it is absolutely flawless i think but them dinosaurs i um i love all the old-fashioned movies like like ray harryhausen's stuff. yes yeah and yeah. when you can do that kind of thing and then we're presented with whatever the hell they are in invasion of the dinosaurs it's just like <sighs> you know when that comes to blu-ray i hope to god they just like to do some sort of Thing, yeah, but I don't care whether they like scratch the scene all together and put a fresh one in, but I, it just well, they've done that on um, on I've just been watching through the series eight set and uh, they did that on Terror of the Autons, they've actually put in an actual like nesting instead of just the blob of light that was in the actual episode. So ah, I saw that, like... yeah. It do I don't like it. It it, it looks really? too much like something we have in our ocean as you haven't like made it a bit more alien. Yeah, I see what you're saying, but that's how they're described in the episode, isn't it? As the mm. squid-like or something. But I think it's preferable to what we had in terms of at least it's something. But yeah, I'm mm. assuming if they get round to Invasion of the Dinosaurs, they're going to have to put updated special effects on it somehow. I, I also just want to give a shout out as well, because I'm pretty sure this was the first episode where they uh, mentioned the infamous Metabilis 3. I was going to say that. I've made a note of the same thing. It comes a runner, and then it's literally uh, the Doctor's regeneration as well. Yeah, yeah, we finally get there, and it's when he regenerates. Well, he gets there first in... Um, is it the oh, green yeah, he's he there in the Green Death, death yeah, briefly. Because yeah. that's where he gets the sort of crystal thing, isn't it? If I yeah, recall correctly. Uh, we should point out that we... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I love that scene. It's just scrambling oh, what... the tallest, <laughs> man. Like a giant pterodactyl or something attacks him, don't they? There's all sorts. It's like when he gets there, there's nothing. And then when he's leaving, everything's come out of the woodwork. <laughs> oh, I love it. But yeah, we should also point out that Matt Smith obviously hasn't watched these episodes because he doesn't know how to pronounce Metabilis 3. Just for, just for the controversy of everybody who whinged us about that. <laughs> how, did he, how did he pronounce it? I can't remember. He pronounces it the way I would before I'd seen the episodes, in fairness, which I think is that he says Meta, Metabilis 3 or something? Or oh, no, Metabilis yeah. 3, yeah, or something like that. Metabilis 3. <laughs> yeah. The oh, doctor well. just forgot. It's been, it's been several lifetimes. Let him go. <laughs> I'm just looking down my notes as well. I just remember, I, there's a line, just going back to what you said about Joe being quite feisty in this, there's a line in this that I loved, and, and I made a note of it, which was, I think it was when they were arguing about whether or not they were on Earth, and Joe just said, you ought to have an L plate for that police box of yours. Because <laughs> you don't know how to pilot it. Yeah, because yeah, you don't know how to pilot I love that. I was like, yes, Joe, read him. Queen. Yeah. It was very funny. That is kind of like weirdly nostalgic when you think that this is literally the first time that they've been able to travel as well, because it's it's immediately after the three doctors, so he's only just had his TARDIS and his time travel stuff returned by the Time Lords. So the fact that he immediately just doesn't know where he's going is brilliant. Uh, I was along my notes as well, uh, and I, I sent this to you, Mike, as I was because I typed it after I'd written the note. But my surprise at the at the first cliffhanger when it turned out they were in the scope. <laughs> 
Because I don't know why I had it clicked that that is what was going on. Because I, I knew they obviously weren't going to end up being on Earth. But, yeah. like, I for some reason hadn't clicked that they were all going to be inside the scope. So when the hand came in and picked up the TARDIS, I was like, Oh, shit! They're in there! That's really cool! <laughs> <laughs> so then I was like, okay, I've got I've to tell Mike that that surprised me. Cause it, I think it's it a really cool moment. Yet. I can't remember it is. the first It's very moment. well done. I think I may have. Had, I'm fairly certain the first time I watched it, I didn't put together that the two plots were as connected that they were in the miniscope until obviously the moment when he picks up the TARDIS, which miraculously changes to the blatant like um, toy version that you can get in the shops. Yeah, the I know, right? I I thought that. I was like, well, that because that's clearly not a toy TARDIS. <laughs> look, the door the door immediately closes by itself, and then it just looks like you know this. Yeah, this is the kind of thing you find in a bric-a-brac shop, you know, but. Uh, yeah. I also, uh, like, go going off of that as well, at least in, like, Flatline, they can get away with it looking like a toy TARDIS because it was meant to be small. It's from the days of the 70s when the toys almost looked nothing like it. Like, there's toy Daleks yeah, that they true. use in the early stories that don't look anything like Daleks as well. So they're very in the background. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, and what's when... Oh, yeah, my next... I think this must have been from part two. But the fact that the... Uh, I can't remember what their species is called. I'm sorry, the grey people. Interminorians. The, yeah, all, the, 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 the space Tories, I'll just call them that. Um, <laughs> Basically, yes. <laughs> they're, when they're talking about Vogue and Scherner right in front of them, like, you know that part where like, they've got the backs of them and they're meant to be having like a private meeting, but they're not talking quietly, and Vogue and Scherner are about five feet away. Yeah, that's a common trope in TV, but it bugs the crap out of me every time. It as well, bugs me every time. I'm like, they can hear you, you know. Yeah, you're they're not, not even there. talking quietly. Yeah, you're not <laughs> even quiet. They're right there. It's It, it always bugs me. Cause it's like, yes, because that was smart. In fact, my next note after that is literally just, these grey men are really annoying. <laughs> yeah, again, they're supposed to be, I think, is the point. So then you're not meant to like be rooting for them or anything. But the yeah. only that was the, well, you know, we're, we're loosely talking about things all over the place. But my other slight criticism, because I only have a couple, but my other one is just at the very end when the Drashig escapes and the, the two bad guys, the even more evil space stories, if you will, um, are dealt with by being eaten by the Drashig. I don't think it's remotely clear that's what's happened. So I really was, I, I've seen this, like I said, four or five times now, and every time I'm like, did I miss something? When when does it make it clear that they're just defeated? Yeah, I, I, I didn't even think they got eaten. I thought yeah, they do. I thought you killed them before that even happened. That's confusing. Exactly. Yeah, and I know. I feel, I realize you know you're not going to use the sock puppet thrashing all that much, and you can't really show it. You know, seeming to <laughs> eat the guest stars, I guess. But it was just so bizarre and confusing. And even a line of dialogue would have been nice. Of like, oh no, they've killed. Uh, whatever the names was, Orem and Calic. Can you believe it? Kind of thing. But, uh, yeah. yeah, there's no mist there, is there? They just, they just vanish and there's no, oh, what about all the deaths and stuff? It's not like Peter Davison style where there would have been a lot of tears afterwards. All these people have died. Yeah, exactly. Because they're just, they are just like, oh, boo the bad guy kind of thing. But uh, they're necessary though, because I mean, I remember reading in the behind the scenes, it was because it didn't feel like there was enough of a threat in the episode with just the Drashigs, which is why they wrote in Calic as the kind of, I'm trying to overtake the government and take charge kind of thing. Which no, I, 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 think I, I, good, I am kind of glad that plot thread is there because it, <laughs> otherwise it literally does just turn into Joe and the Doctor running around this thing for four episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Which I also think of, there's, there's, it kind of brings me to my other criticism. I'll let sorry, I'll let you go first. No, no, I was just going to say that that's one of the things I would have mentioned as well is that I, I always don't like episode the classic serials that are longer than four episodes because there's almost never a reason and they're usually quite padded. I've recently watched, like I said, I'm working through the series eight set, so I've seen the Mind of Evil for the first time, which I know is a really well regarded episode, but I think it's got no business being six episodes long, and as a result, it's got like three or four plots happening because it's trying to fill the time. Um, I, think, I think there are some instances where six episodes is justified. Like, yeah, yeah, that's. I, think, I mean, I think Genesis of the Daleks is six episodes, and I think that uses. I think the only bad thing about Genesis is the is the fucking clam. <laughs> yeah, no, that's. I, I remember having that conversation with Will and saying that's actually unfair to say that there's not any at all because I love Talons of Wang Chiang and that's six parts as well. Other uh, than the blatant racism, obviously. Green, Green Death as well. Green, green Death as well, yeah. Parts. Um, I think Green Death uses all six parts really well. But I, I'm just, yeah, there, there's some examples. I think Silurians is another one that's seven episodes, and I'm like, it doesn't need to be. But anyway, my point is that I think Carnival of Monsters could easily have been extended. There's enough going on there. 
And I think four episodes for this one is kind of like, it's a shame that it's only four. Really? Um, I, I think the opposite. Really? I, okay. I honestly, I did enjoy this, but I yeah. found myself, I personally found it dragging more than The Green Death did, even though The Green Death is two parts longer. Huh. I don't agree I, with that, and, but okay. And, and my, other, my other main criticism of it, apart from the characters, is the fact that, at least for me, personally, again, people might disagree and that's fine, but at, le at least for me personally, I felt like the first three parts, not a lot happened. Oh, I don't agree with that, but okay. Fair like, enough. the first episode, we're pretty much just on the ship the whole time. Uh, well, we go between the ship and then the planet that we're on. Yeah. And then it only really makes sense. Uh, actually, I won't hold that against part one because, to be fair, it does. It, the cliffhanger is great, and it's a it's a good way to sort of bring the two plot threads together to make you realise, oh, the ship is in the miniscope. Okay, so that's yeah. not too bad. Although it, I think it did drag a little bit. Part two was part two was was decent that was the one where they were going through the machine wasn't it? they were like going through all the internals and stuff and then yeah. at the end they find themselves in the trashing yeah. ecosystem which before i forget i do just want to make uh just want to say as well i love the fact that not only is it just the aliens inside this thing but like all their ecosystems are there as well that's really cool and it's a yeah. it's a smart way of making it so that we can have different locations yeah completely that that was a little bit confusing that fucking noise I don't know. Is somebody hoovering in your house, Brian? <laughs> no, that's somebody outside. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Typical man. It's been quiet all morning. As soon as I come online, someone gets that God knows whatever it is. I'd be, be a leaf blower or something. Probably. <laughs> but no, I was saying, I just, I love the concept for the way that it allows for different uh, locations to be used. And not just for different locations to be used, but for them to thematically and narratively make sense to be there as well. Because yes. it's like, we're inside of all this machinery and then the next minute we're on like a swampy marshland, probably some quarry in Wales, but like, <laughs> it makes sense why we have that transition, same with the boat. Like, it gives us, it gives us a nice variety of different uh, settings to go through rather than it just being the ship and then, you know, this one room inside of this planet. Because we never really leave that room, really. Yeah, but I think that's the thing, is that that's exactly your point, which is the plot is really brilliant. It's such a close of these things. Um, and yeah, that's, again, why have a miniscope, why is a miniscope not appeared other than the fact that, you know, it's outlawed and whatever else, but um, in-universe, it's such a clever way to get so much yeah. economical filming done. You can do multiple sets, multiple villains. You don't have to have monsters, but you can if you want to, you know? But uh, yeah. I think perhaps that's part of the issue you have with it is that the first episodes may be a bit boring because the place that they happen to land is like a 1920s Navy sailing ship when they could have landed, you know, fighting Ogrons or Cybermen or whatever, but they didn't. So, but either way, no, I, 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 I won't say it was boring at all. It just, it like, it just dragged a little bit for me. Maybe it's just me being a fucking millennial and being like, oh, I like New Who because it's got, it's like, you know, single part episodes. It's got more to, it's got more to do in less time. So it's quicker. I don't know, maybe that just makes me, you know, a young one, I don't know, but... I, I, I didn't dislike it by any means. Um, how, how about you anyway, Brian? Did you think that four episodes was not enough or too much? Um, it, would have, it would have been very good as a six-parter, but with a sort of, you know, how in the seeds of Doom, that's the Crinoid one, yes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They have two episodes at the beginning, which you could really watch on their own as a, a nice little standalone story. And then the other four episodes are connected to the first two. But again, it's like a different story altogether because uh, you've both seen that, yes? Yes, I was uh, going to say, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that is a very good way to do a six-parter. Yes, because then you can you can watch it in two bits. I think if, I, if someone said, I want you to take Carnival of the Monsters and um, revamp it, I would have had it a six-parter. Um, I would have had all the different creatures and characters that end up in the scope getting collected in from their own different um, periods, and the Doctor's there for each one of them, as if he's following them to find out what's going on, oh, why yeah, these yeah, people are disappearing from their, like locations, the with their locations, leaving maybe yeah. it's like a void in its space or something. Yeah. And then when he finds out where they all are, we find out it's in this big sort of collection as the scope. And then you could have split it up a bit more. So you could have had maybe the first three episodes, the first two episodes could have been um, 
two different time periods where they're all getting taken away. The third one feeds a bit more and finds out that we're getting closer to what like is actually going on. And then the rest are, oh, we're in the scope, how do we get out of it and all that kind of stuff. That would have been I, a bit more fast I, I, I think that would be... I, I'd watch that. I think that would be really good. Uh, yeah. I think that would be a great way to do this as a six-parter. See, I, I like the structure as it is, but I would probably add a couple of episodes in the middle where we just explore the other circuits or rooms or whatever inside the mini school. I, I think I, I, I can kind of go with that as well because I think I, I think the reason I found that at least in the middle because I'm not gonna I can't really remember a lot of what happened in part three. Like I remember the full story, it's just I can't remember what specifically happened in part three. I just know that I was kind of getting a bit bored of seeing the same sets by this point. Yeah, part uh, three was mainly just, oh no, the Drashigs are chasing us through the machine, I think, for the majority yeah. of the time, isn't it? I, will say, I did like the scene where the Drashigs sort of break into the other ecosystems. Yes. Like, then coming through the boat was quite cool. I love that, yeah. <laughs> that was very well done. And, and, and again, even when they break out of the scope, I think it's... it's For what they had at the time, I think it is well done. Uh, yeah. and overall, I did... Honestly, I did thoroughly enjoy it. I just... I've deducted a point on my score, basically just for not liking most of the characters and finding that it, it it was kind of dragging in places like it felt like not a lot happened in certain areas i i, I personally will say that i think it's one of the ones that that drags the least in terms of the classic who because I'm, I'm with you a lot of the time i'm like very millennial and like oh this is there's a lot to get through and not a lot's happening pace wise um but i know that carnival Hunters was one of the first ones that i saw and it's one of the first ones that I was like, this is really good. Because I was quite picky when it came to like the classic episodes when I first started watching them. I remember watching Earthshock and thinking it was pretty boring, actually. Um, even though that's like that's sacrilege to most people now. Um, but at the time, I was just like, I mean, this is right after I'd watched like Rise of the Cybermen and everything. So I was expecting way more to happen, I guess. To, to compare how much better I do think this is, though, or how good I do think this is, the first episode of this podcast that we did was The Visitation, which is the exact same length as Carnival of Monsters. Yeah. This is so much better. My God. It, even if it did feel like it was slow in places, the pacing is nowhere near as bad as it is in The Visitation. My God. And The Visitation as well has like such a limited amount of uh, like sets. It's pretty much just the same woodland path, the same house, and then at the end we go... <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing again at the fucking... the fact that their base is in a bakery. Uh, and then we just go <laughs> to the bakery. It's so silly. That story was so silly. Uh, but yeah, I did thoroughly enjoy this. Yeah, I, I will say it, it's one of my favourite Classic Who stories. It's in the top sort of five, I think, of Classic Who, along with things like the Arkham space that you know that I love. But um, I, I, along those lines, I think it's partly because I think Series 10 is probably the strongest series of the show, or Season 10, as they're calling them now, um, because I don't think there's, with the exception of Planet of the Daleks, there's not a bad episode that season. And even then, it's fine. It's just a complete rehash of, for the most part, of the first Dalek serial. Um, but I think like the Three Doctors, Carnival of Monsters, Frontier in Space, Green Death are all episodes that I would rank really highly. So, did you just I, diss Planet of the Daleks? <laughs> Sorry, Rebecca I didn't realize how to find. Rebecca's gonna kill you. Oh yeah, Rebecca has issues with me anyway. Um, she's a huge fan of the Pertwee Dalek stories, and I've pointed out to her before that there's only one good one, but it's the first one, which is Day of the Daleks, um, and oh. she hates me for saying that. <laughs> Planet of the Daleks is my favorite Dalek story ever. Really? Yeah, wow, I know okay. it is like pretty much bits of this story, bits of that story. I think Nick Briggs said it was the Daleks' greatest hits, but I, I love it. Me, I think it works so well. The voices are badass in it. They're so like I'm gonna get you. Wow, well, if we have your platform on the podcast. We'll have to put it on the wheel, I guess. I, I, will, I will say just along what you were saying there, Mike. Um, I think I think I told you I watched the Green Death for the first time a, a couple of months ago because we were doing yeah. Hit or Miss at the time. Uh, and that has quickly become one of my favourite classic stories. I loved The Green Death a lot. That's great, that one. I thoroughly enjoyed that. It's another one, though, that where I don't know why it is, and it's certainly not consciously, but anytime there's like a political, a strong political subtext in classic Doctor Who, those are the stories that I love the most. Like, I love The Sunmakers, and I think I'm, I'm alone on that, <laughs> even though it's, it's basically oh. just fuck the tax man, the story. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say, I think it's going to take it. Obviously, I haven't seen all of classic by any means. It's going to take a lot to knock Curse of Fenric off of my top spot for me. 
Very, oh, yeah. very good story. For, for those of you who don't know, Curse of Fenric is my favourite classic story. I adore Curse of Fenric a lot. I love Curse of Fenric. You, you, I, I think it works very well. The only... It's not really a downside to it, but my all-time favourite... Well, one of my all-time favourite horror movies is The Fog by John Carpenter, and it's exactly The Curse of Fenric. Um, the Fog came first, followed by Fenric. Um, it's not as if Fenric's a rip-off of The Fog, but if you like Curse of Fenric, I strongly suggest you watch The Fog. I'm very bad with horror. <laughs> uh, um, anything else we want to say about Carnival Monsters before we wrap up, just because I'm aware that uh, Brian uh, doesn't have that much long left. That, yeah, much long, yeah. that was good English, That's Andrew. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just see my notes and then I'll get through it. Um, yeah, just again reiterating, I think the plot's great. It's fantastic science fiction because it's... It's political subtext, but also with a cool like science fiction central idea. Uh, my only other criticism, the ending is a bit too rushed, but we've kind of been over that. Um, and the only other thing I had was a brief behind-the-scenes story in case you guys don't know this. Um, if you have, by the way, got a chance to get the Carnival of Monsters DVD special edition or the Blu-ray set, you should, because the commentaries and behind-the-scenes stories are great. But there's a great story about how the boat they were filming on that was supposed to be the SS Bernice, um, was a, a ship that was getting decommissioned and John Pertwee, you know, was a big Navy fan kind of thing. And they had a, a rare, like, brass compass on this ship that Pertwee had become convinced was going to get scrapped with the ship. So he basically <laughs> he half-inched it. <laughs> he took it for himself. Um, and then at the end of one of the shooting days, everyone was like, where's this compass gone? We were going to auction everything off on this ship. This is a priceless compass with like, <laughs> we, we can't believe what's going on. And Pertwee really embarrassed was like, oh, I'm sorry, it's in my bag. I'd kind of, <laughs> I'd kind of, uh, you know, took it for myself. <laughs> so we had to pull it back. <laughs> I, think it's just, I would love to have been there just oh, for that moment. That's when kind like, of adorable. <laughs> I love the idea. I love the idea that almost every doctor, when they leave the show, takes like they usually get to keep their sonic screwdriver and maybe part of their costume. And John Pertwee just walks off with this compass. This doesn't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, doesn't give a shit about his screwdriver. He just wants the compass. Yeah. The only other thing I, I will say as well before we go. Um, if anybody's curious, I, I have got the translation of the Polari language from episode four because I'm just that geeky and I found it online. So if anybody wants to know, the first line, Polari the Carney, is do you talk the carnival language? Um, Varda the Bonapalone is look at the good-looking young girl. And Niente Denari, here you Jills, is no money to be made here, you know. And yes, it is actually a real language and apparently John Pertwee was a huge uh, sort of speaker of it and loved that it was written into the script. So they what? <laughs> Wait, so that's an actual thing. They didn't make it's, that up for the show. Yeah, Carney Polari is actually a language from Earth. You know, it's it's uh, the way old Carney folk used to talk to each other. It's an actual thing. Okay, I have a lot more respect for that scene now because when I, when that first happened in the show, I was like, oh my god, what is he doing? I didn't know that was real. That's actually really cool. I'm glad you told me that. Yeah, it's weird, but that's actually really cool. Uh, Brian, do you have any final thoughts? Um, I, I love the story. It gets an eight out of ten for me. Um, um, apart from the flaws I've I've mentioned, I don't think it has anything that's cringeworthy. It would have been nice as a, a six-parter, a bit more, bit more mystery in there. But uh, other than that, I, I think it works very well. It's got it's one of them stories which great to me because it has a one-hit wonder, which for me would be the Drashics, like with the art and space. Mike mentioned before the women never seen again but two monsters that I think would have been very good in, in Leah Who. I know Big Finish have picked up with them and uh, have proven that they, they do work, even on audio. If they work on audio, you know, with t t today's technology, they're definitely going to work on screen. But um, apart from that, I think, it, I think it works well. It's great. The Drashics do get an appearance very quickly in a, one of Joe's nightmares in, is it Frontier in Space? Yes. That's, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's really, they deserve to have come back. You're absolutely right. I think it's funny that the two you listed there, being the Drashigs and the Wern, are like both monsters that infamously have really bad like costuming. Yeah, but you could update them. I mean, the Silurians from the oh, modern no, era often like the Silurians. De definitely, the like given how effective they are in classics, despite the limitations of what they could use, like the mind can only think of how cool they'd look on mo on screen now. Mm. Yeah, especially with the effects that we have. You'd be unlikely to get the Wirren because I think nowadays people would call it an alien ripoff, which is a shame because Ark in Space did come first, but I'd love to see it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just going to add as well, I also gave Carnival of Monsters an 8 out of 10. I did thoroughly enjoy it despite the 
the two main falls that I have, I did really enjoy it. It'd be something that I would quite happily rewatch again. It was it was a lot of fun. Uh, and just the whole... I think a lot of my enjoyment of it does just come from the basic premise alone. I think it's such a cool and really smart idea that allows for so much. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I was way more in, into the episode than I think either of you even were. Uh, my score was 9.5 out of 10 because, as I said, this is one of my top five classic serials. I just really enjoy it every time I watch it, and there's so much there that, that speaks to me as a big sci-fi geek. Um, so, yeah, 9.5 for me. So, uh, can you work out the average there, Andy? Two eights and a nine and a half? Yeah, I'll do, I'll do it now. It's going to be somewhere around, like... Oh, I did the math wrong there. <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I don't think it's a bad score, but I just really love the episode. Maybe I'm out on my own. It'll be interesting to see if we do a poll or whatever when before this episode airs to see. Uh, bang on 8.5. Okay, cool. Awesome. 8.5. I can live with that. Um, so, yeah. Is there a way that I can show the wheel being span on here? I'm not sure. Uh, no, well, we didn't bother because we don't want to uh, ruin like what all the others um, are that we haven't put okay, it cool. back on. So just do cool. it and then announce what's going to uh, actually be if, if that's cool with you. Yeah, cool. Ooh, we can hear it spinning. <laughs> what shall it be? Oh, join us next in the next episode. I think I'm in the next one. I'll just you are with um, with EDW podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we are doing Robot of Sherwood. Nice. Okay, cool. Speaking of Gators episodes. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Awesome. I look forward to hearing it. So, uh, All right. yeah. Thank you for listening, everybody. Yes, thanks for uh, agreeing to come on, Brian. And uh, I know I've, I've had you uh, down on the list for a while, so we finally got around to having you on and talking no, about... Problem. Thank story. you very much for having me. Awesome. And Andy, thanks for hosting. <laughs> Thank you. I, I hope I did an okay job. I was a little bit all over the place. I'm still not used to this format yet. No, no, I think it's good because we, we've only job, taken yeah. like yeah, we've only taken an hour and a little bit, which is perfect rather than when we used to be doing, you know, three hours. <laughs> I see notes and we'd go on for three hours. So. In, all, in all fairness, my, I think my favorite episode that I did with you guys was for Asylum of the Daleks, and that was just because it was it just turned into absolute chaos. <laughs> Fair we spent we spent like an hour and a half, maybe nearly two hours reviewing a fifty-minute episode. What what did you give that one? Uh, I think we all gave it an eight, didn't we? An eight? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I really like Asylum with the Daleks. Oh, no, it's not. It's not one of my favorites. Yeah, you can have some disagreements here because we all liked it. What would you give it out of ten, Brian? Then a three. Ooh, that's bad. <laughs> oh, it's, well. it's funny if if I ever give a, a Doctor Who a, a bad rating, it's because I don't know if it's me just having like my sort of view on how I would have done it, but. Mm. I watch something and I think, oh, it's got so much potential for this, that, and to that, and they don't use it, like Paradise Towers, which could have been absolutely really yeah. creepy and scary, and instead it's just like watching a bad pantomime, <laughs> then uh, it'll always get a low score. And if they have special weapons Dalek on screen one more time and do not have them open fire, I'm going to cry. I just want to ask before we go, and just because she's kind of relevant to the story we just we just mentioned... Thoughts on Clara? I like knowing people's thoughts on Clara. Oh, um, I like the first one that you see in Asylum of the Daleks. Um, I like the version of her that was in the Snowman, where she's she's the um, she's the maid. But the rest of it, I think, by that time, it's a bit all over the shop, and I don't quite get the character. I think once we get proper Clara, if you like. And she's she's on board the TARDIS all the time. She, it's just a nag. Like I'd have dropped her off on the nearest planet and just disappeared. <laughs> like there you go, love. I'll, I'll come back in an hour and then. Oh, just, man, I, lo like, I love that you've got strong <laughs> views. Even if I don't agree with your views, I love that you've got strong views and you're not afraid to go there, man. That's awesome. Oh, <laughs> oh well, we should let Brian go. He's got work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> See you later, buddy. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Awesome. You yeah. Thanks, man. Take care. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the uh, Doctor Who Spin the Wheel podcast. I have been Andy, this has been Mike, and join us in the next episode where me, Will, and... Is it the e ED... It's EDW podcast, yeah. It is EW podcast. EDW podcast, that's it. EDW. I, was, I know the letters are ED and W, but I can't remember which order they go in. <laughs> um, uh, where we'll apparently be uh, giving our thoughts on the Robot of Sherwood. Robot of Sherwood, yes. Should be fun. Uh, do you like the Robot of Sherwood before we sign off? Um, I, I don't hate it. 
I wouldn't rate it particularly highly, but again, it's one of those that I've seen, I think, maybe once, twice at most. And uh, yeah, there's moments I like. I like the kind of humorous interaction in the cells with the, you know, the Doctor and Robin Hood being all trying to one-up each other, pissing contest, basically. Um, and I love the ending, which is basically, you know, that uh, we the, the power of myth and we can be heroes, whether people believe we exist or not kind of thing. Um, is a really cool angle on that, but the majority of the, the stuff in between is not great. I think Ben Miller's terrible in the episode playing the sheriff. Right. Uh, I'll, let, I'll let you go then, Mike. No worries. Well, uh, yeah. Enjoy, everyone. See you All next right. week. Bye. Bye. See you later, buddy. Bye. Bye.